Well, I want to say before I get started this morning that if you happen to be a guest here, if you're visiting today, uh, we're just delighted to have you. And I trust that there's at least one visitor in our midst uh, this morning. And if you happen to be a, a participant here at the church, maybe you've attended for some time or you're a longtime member and uh, you haven't been back for a few weeks, uh, we're glad you're here today as well uh, with the, the family worshiping. And I hope you took a moment this morning to fill out that little uh, friendship pad that's uh, came by. Uh, That's our way to to get to know you, and uh, we want to send you a note this week of you are a guest, and uh, so please take the time to do that if you didn't do it already. And I also want to just thank many of you for uh, filling out this prayer commitment card last week. I was overwhelmed when I got back to my office. I guess it was Sunday evening. I went in just briefly. Maybe it was on Monday And I counted up the number of slips of paper that had been turned in last week. We've got almost 90 of these, 90 people who committed to pray regularly for this church family during this interim time between pastors. And I'm just privileged to be your interim pastor. And uh, we've got a number of these forms out on the table uh, in front of that little prayer uh, area. And if you didn't get one last week and you still like to be a part of the prayer team, this is your opportunity this morning to step out and get one of those things. You can sign your name, date it, and we're just asking you to pray regularly. doesn't have to be daily, but when God reminds you during the week just to pray, please pray for me. Pray for Elizabeth, my wife. Pray for our elders. Pray for your elders. Pray for the deacons. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our church that God is going to move, that God is going to work in our lives during this time. This is an opportunity for him to change us, to work in our lives in a way perhaps that he hasn't ever uh, before. And for those of you who are visiting, we're in the midst of a series on the 10 marks of a healthy church. Now, are there more than 10? Probably so. But we're limiting ourselves to 10 because we don't want to go on forever with this sermon series. And this is an important series because God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be growing as believers. He wants that for us individually, and he wants that for us as a church family. He wants us to be a healthy church. And so we're asking ourselves the question each week here on Sunday mornings. We're doing Bible study together. What are the marks or the indicators of spiritual health? And we're taking one each Sunday morning, and we're looking at it. And so we're going to be looking at another one today. We're going to be looking at this this important theme of being a caring community. Last week, we talked about inspirational worship, and now today we're going to focus on being a caring community. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, uh, worship is important. It's really important because you made us to worship. And if we don't worship, then there is something missing in our lives. When we worship, 
when we truly worship, whether it's a contemporary song or an old hymn, but Lord, when we connect with you, you're able to do something in our hearts and lives. It just, it's energizing. And now this morning, we're going to talk about caring community. And this is also essential. Because Lord, if we're not a caring community, if people don't see you in us, and the way we care for each other, then it doesn't matter what hymns we sing or what choruses we sing or what we do. Being a caring community is another mark of spiritual growth and spiritual health. So now as we look into your word this morning, Lord, I ask that you give us ears to hear. Ears to hear. We sang the song. We we prayed it as we were singing that you would change us, that we would hear your voice. Now, Lord, help us to hear your, your voice, the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us as we look into your word. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, now as we begin this, this morning, I've got a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is we're not going to be doing an expositional look at Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Great passage of Scripture. We're going to end up with it, but we're not going to be going through it verse by verse this morning. I want to talk about this idea of being a caring community, and we're going to use the little word caring as an acronym, as an easy way for you to remember the thoughts that hopefully are rooted in the Word of God, and we're going to be looking at the Scripture because everything here is biblically based, I believe. But each letter in that word caring stands for something. And the letter C in this word caring stands for the word connected. If we're going to be a caring community, a body of believers, then we have to be connected to one another. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And notice how the early believers were described here in this passage of Scripture. And all who believe, the Bible tells us, were together. You got your Bible open. If you're into underlining things in in your Bible, you might want to underline that little phrase, were together. They were connected. And they had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing proceeds to anyone who had a need. Anybody who had a need, they were meeting those needs by giving to them. They were a need-meeting church. They were connected together. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, and notice what Dr. Luke tells us in chapter 4, now the full number, and I happened to underline that phrase in my Bible this morning. It just, my eye caught that phrase for the first time in a different way. Now the full number, you know what that tells me? He's talking about everybody. He's not just talking about people that are in small groups 
or people that come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, he's talking about the full number. He's talking about the entire body of believers. The full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony. And there wasn't a needy person among them. Look at verse 34. And look at verse 34. They were distributing to each as any had need. This was a connected community of believers, the full number of them. They were connecting, and they were loving each other, and they were meeting each other's needs as any had needs. Now, I'm reminded of a, of a, of a little piece that Ann Ortland wrote many, many years ago. Ann and Ray Ortland were founders of Renewal Ministries, and she went home to be with Christ just a few years ago at the rich age of 90. She was 90 years old. She said this, Every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. You can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that don't affect one another except in collision. And on Sunday morning, you can go to church or you can choose to sleep in. If you're a bag of marbles, it really doesn't matter because who cares whether there are 192 or 193 marbles in a bag. Or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. The juices mingle together. And there's no way to separate yourselves from each other. Even if you tried, each is a part of all, part of the fragrance, part of the stuff. A bag of marbles or a bag of grapes. And this author went on to say, sometimes we grapes get bruised, and we bleed. And when this happens, we can't ignore our brothers, telling ourselves, it's none of my business. No, we're to get involved, for this is prayer in action. This is the fulfillment of the law of love. And I think what we see in this passage of Scripture, which I just read for you in the book of Acts, is that the early church was a bag of grapes. They weren't a bag of marbles, and they were connected. They weren't colliding. And so this is the first C in a caring community. God wants us to be connected. And this word connected is important because we can't care for each other unless we're connected. Duh. Think about it. If you're not connected then you don't know anything about your brother or your sister. you got to be connected to know what's going on in another person's life. It's not rocket science. And I think that's why the Scripture says that we're to consider one another. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke, to stir one another up, to love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We've got to be connected in order to know what's going on in one another's lives in order to care for each other in the way that the early church was caring for each other. Now, some of you had the privilege 
a week ago of meeting my oldest daughter and my oldest grandchild, and they were here worshiping with us. And, and we had a wonderful time with us, and we got to go into New York City. And, but my oldest daughter lives in Parker, Colorado, just a, a suburb of Denver, and she was sharing with us just this last year of a Mormon family that her neighbors are theirs. And the oldest child in this Mormon family tragically had a stroke at the age of 12. Have you ever heard of that before? Some type of a clot, and this little kid is paralyzed, and he's gone to specialist, and he's, he's struggling with things that, that older people, you think, would struggle with. And here's this little 12-year-old. But the, the, the incredible thing was, as Dave and Heidi have, have been reaching out to this family, trying to share the Lord Jesus Christ with them, witness to them, the incredible thing that impressed them was how the, the, the Mormon church just turned out and surrounded this family with love. Now, let me ask you, why is it that so many cults are better at communicating love when somebody's in need than we Bible-believing evangelical Christians? Why is that? And yet it's a reality Many times, you see cults reaching out and surrounding their hurting with love in a way that God calls us to love each other. Now, why is that? I just don't get it. There's something wrong, and I'm going to just, I'm going to put myself in the circle now because I've got to admit to you, I don't love in the way that God calls me to love sometimes. I'm not connected in that way. And yet, that was a description of the early believers and the kind of love, I think, that God wants us to have for, for one another. When we live in an age where people are thirsty for relationship, we live in a society where people are hungry to be connected because there are just a bunch of lonely people out there that have no connection with anybody. And they just want somebody that they can connect with. What an opportunity we have as believers to love one another and to reach out with the love of Christ to people that are just lonely. And believe me, I was reminded of that just this last Tuesday as we took my oldest daughter into New York City. And we walked the streets of New York City, went down to ground zero, and just looked at the sea of humanity And I was reminded of John Doan's words, no man is an island. And here are all of these people, this massive sea of humanity, and you can just see the loneliness in people's eyes as they're walking down the sidewalk. People are thirsty for connection. And then the A in this word, pardon me, uh, caring, stands for availability. Availability. Chuck Swindoll put it so well so many years ago when he's, he wrote in Dropping Your Guard and he, the wonderful book that he wrote, he said, our churches need to be less like national shrines and more like local bars. And it's true. Have you ever watched people go into a bar? You know why they go in there? Because they're lonely. They're looking for a a relationship, just somebody to talk to. 
And, and they find camaraderie in that local bar, less like untouchable cathedrals and more like well-used hospitals, places to bleed in rather than monuments to look at, places where you can take your mask off, be yourself, let your hair down, places where you can get your wounds dressed. That's what our churches need to be like. And so this, this idea of availability Turn, if you will, for just a moment to Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. And you remember the story. Here's this priest, and here's this Levite. I hope you're turning there just to remind yourself of the details. And both of them, the Bible says, passed by on the other side. Here was this hurting individual beat up by robbers, laying by the side of the road. And we don't know for sure why the priest passed by. We don't know for sure why the Levite is described as a passerby, but they passed him by. And the Samaritan stopped, dressed his wounds, took him in, and made sure that he was cared for. And he was available. The priest and the Levite, the religious people in the story, weren't available. They passed by. To be connected, you've got to be available. There's got to be room in your schedule to connect with other people relationally. One of the most profound books that I read here in the last uh, decade or so was a book called Margins by Dr. Richard Swinson. I'm just curious, have, have any of you read that book, Margins? A couple of people. I would highly recommend the book. We live in a phrenic age. In fact, I've got a number of things coming up on the screen right now, reasons why possibly we're not available. We're just busy. Now, we don't know why in the story, as I just said, that the priest and the Levite didn't tend to this guy and when they didn't, why they didn't care about him, but maybe they were just busy or burnout. Sometimes we know we should, but we just can't because we're nothing more than just a crispy piece of toast. You know, we're just fried at the end of the week. We just have no energy left. We're just burned out. We need margin. We need margin in our lives. Somehow we've got to get balance back in our lives so that we can connect, so that we will be available to people. So sometimes the problem is burnout or... Or, you know, let's just be honest, bigotry. I know I should care. I know I should connect. But I'm not going to be available to that person because I don't care for people like that. Bigotry. Or maybe the problem sometimes is just apathy. Or we're just afraid. Well, what would happen if I did get involved? If I did reach out in the way the Lord wants me to? But read the story again. It's a great story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm reminded of a story that I read just this last year of a non-Christian, a man who had no interest in spiritual things. And he related just casually to his Christian neighbor over the backyard fence. And they would talk informally. And they would loan each other tools. And the guy would loan him his lawnmower. And then his wife came down with cancer. And she died three months later. 
and he was lost. And this is what he wrote, this unbeliever. I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the services like I was in a trance. And after the service, I went to the path along the river, and I walked all night long. He didn't go to bed. And I walked alone. But I wasn't alone because my neighbor walked all night along the river with me. Afraid for me, I guess. He stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. And when the sun finally came up over the river, he came over and he said, let's go get some breakfast. I go to church now, he writes. My neighbor's church, a religion that can produce that kind of caring love for a neighbor, showed me something. And I want to find out more about it. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Caring community. Just being available. Available. And then the, the R in this word caring is, that stands for being responsive. You know, it's one thing to be available, but it's another thing to respond. To be responsive. Notice that in the story of the Good Samaritan... The priest and the Levite, they weren't available and they weren't responsive. But the Samaritan was not only available, but he was responsive. Sometimes we're available, we have margin, we have time in our schedule, but we don't respond. And now I just want to be personal with you for a moment if, I, if you'll allow me to. Because I think it's important to be honest. And I thought of this as I was, was writing this. How many times in my own life have I had a caring thought? And isn't this true for all of us? You get up in the morning, and these, the words of this song that we just sang, this last song, we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And how many times, we, we, we all have had this experience, the Lord puts somebody's name in your head. Or reminds you, and you just, you know it's God, and he's prompting you, and you, and you think, yeah, I need to do that. And then we get busy, and we get to the end of the day, and ah, we realize we didn't do it. How many times have I had a caring thought, and I had the time, I was available, but I didn't, I wasn't responsive, I didn't act on it. And it happens to all of us. And so that's the R in this word, caring. And when we're responsive to the needs of others, we act on our availability. And one of the things that's impressed me about this church family and the the time that uh, I've been here is I've gotten to know some people that that act on their availability. One of the the shows that became a favorite of Elizabeth and I, mine, uh, this past year we were watching a little show called Flashpoint, and it's a a show about these EMTs that get called into these emergency situations, and they, they go into danger, and they rescue people. And I've met some, uh, some EMTs here in this church, people like Louise Conway and her ministry to widows. And I've met people like Vi Statham and her caring ministry, and people like, like uh, Don Lyon, 
who's made himself available to people all over the hill towns and, and many other people that I could mention this morning. And I'm impressed. I think it's part of the DNA of this church. And may their tribe increase. May that continue in this church family. What God has done here over the years. May we be people that put shoe leather on the thoughts and the prompts that God gives us. Another pastor wrote one time, uh, somebody walked up to him after church one Sunday and, and handed him a note and said, Today, while my back was turned, somebody reassuredly grasped my arm unexpectedly, and it was you. It was the extra something I needed. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. There's little time to touch anybody anymore, this man writes. There are so few moments to hug and to hold anymore. And then he concludes by saying, it's too bad the church didn't come up with the line, reach out and touch somebody. That old Ma Bell slogan, reach out and touch someone. Because that's scriptural, that's biblical. That's what we're seeing this morning. God wants us to reach out and touch people. And greeting on Sunday morning, just a warm welcome, a smile, saying hi to somebody is the beginning of that sometimes for people that come into our midst. Being a reach out and touch people, church. And then the, the I in the word caring stands for interest. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. You go to Colossians, you've gone too far. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Here Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. If we would just practice these two verses of Scripture alone, it would make us a more caring community. How many times do I walk into to the kitchen and I want my wife to pay attention to my interest instead of me taking an interest in her interest? And we do that in all of our relationships, don't we? It's natural. We're selfish human beings. But I remember years ago in the Daily Bread written by Dave Brannon. He told a little story. He said, there are two types of people in the world. Someone once said, those who come into a room and say, here I am. Look at me. And people who walk into a room, the second type of person, and say, ah, there you are. What kind of person are you? Are you a here I am person? Or when you are in a room, are you a, why, there you are. There you are. A there you are person. How different are those two approaches, he wrote. One says, look at me, I need attention. The other says, tell me about yourself. One says, I'm important. The other says, you're important. One says, The world revolves around me. The other says, I'm here. How can I serve you? There you are. Taking an interest 
in other people, the I in the word caring. And this word to care, and he goes on in verses 19 through 21 in this chapter, if you look down the page, to give Timothy as an example of someone. And he said, I don't have anybody like him. Everybody else is a here-I-am person or look-at-what-I'm-into person. But Timothy, he wrote, look at verses 19 through 21, says, he said, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He was a there-you-are person. And if you look at the end of the chapter, Epaphroditus is given as another example of a there-you-are person. You remember how it used to be in the old days when you'd stand across your, uh, the backyard fence and talk with your neighbor? Some of you are young enough in here that you, you don't remember those days because they never existed. But it used to be that in the old days you'd stand and you'd, you'd talk across the backyard fence. And when you're tacking, talking across the backyard fence, you know what? Your neighbor had all kinds of stuff in his life. And you had all kinds of stuff in your life. We've all got stuff. All of us. Every one of us. We've got stuff in our lives. We've got pressures. We've got headaches. We've got heartaches. We've got hurts. We've got hang-ups. Let me ask you, when you talk with your neighbor over the backyard fence and you walk away, whose stuff did you talk about? Did you talk about his stuff or your stuff? People who take a personal interest focus on the other side of the fence, what's going on in the other person's life. And then the N in the word caring stands for nurturing. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, for a moment. Chapter 2, verses, and look at verse 7. 1 Thess, chapter 2, verse 7. And notice how Paul described his ministry to the Thessalonican believers, the Thessalonians. N stands for the word nurturing. And he says here in verse 7 of 1 Thess 2, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And then look at verses 11 and 12. For you know how like a father, here's this mother-father analogy, you, for you know how, like a father with his children, we encouraged you and we exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And it, it's, here we've got this beautiful uh, image of a family that, that Paul uses, this analogy in this passage of Scripture. And he says, we were tender like a, mercy, a nursing mother with her children. And there, the, the two Greek words in this passage are fascinating to me. They're words of tenderness. The words of nurture. Webster defines nurture in this way, as to suckle or to nourish like a nursing mother supplying with nourishment. And a caring community is a nourishing community, like a mom or a dad. And you know what? If you're going to be nourishing and provide nourishment for other people, that's going to require sacrifice. Think of those mothers that you've known. And I think the Starks just had a grand, uh, their eighth grandchild this last, uh, just yesterday. Was it just yesterday? Or day before yesterday? 
Can we just give them a, I mean, we got to celebrate that, right? Now, how many of you want to make yourself available (laughs) to their son and daughter-in-law? And you young moms are saying, nope, I don't want to go back there and do that. I'm not going to do that again. Because you know why? It takes sacrifice. If you're going to provide nourishment for a young child, that little baby, you got to get up late at night, and you got to get up early in the morning, and you got to go out of your way. you got to be there for that person. But caring communities do that for people. They provide nourishment. They're willing to teach the Word of God. They're willing to be there for people, even if it means sacrificing, making themselves available. And then finally, the G in the word caring stands for gentleness. And now we've come to Galatians chapter 6. So now you can turn to the passage that Cliff read for us. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. And we're only going to look at the first couple of verses here. But notice what Paul writes. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There's the G. C is for connecting. A, availability. R, we're responsive. I, we take a personal interest. N, we're nurturing. And G, we relate to each other with gentleness. There is a place for restoring people in the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, there are times when our brothers or sisters get off the beaten path and they stray from the road that God wants them on. And this word to restore means to help someone get back on the right road. It was a word, we've talked about it before, which mean, meant to put back into working the order, into the, the mending something so that it served the purpose for which it was created. Used in, in the Gospels of people that had holes in their nets. And they would stitch up those holes. When you restore somebody, you restore them, but you do it with gentleness. You stitch up that hole so that they can go fishing again, so they can be put back into, on the right road and serve Christ again. But we do it with gentleness. And I'm reminded of a story of a, of a, of a guy who won four goldfish at a school bazaar or fair. And so he's bringing these four goldfish home, and he needs an aquarium for them. And he goes out the next day, and he he finds an aquarium, and he's got all these aquariums lined up in the store, and they're costing anywhere from $40 to $70. And he said, well, that's too much money. And so he goes to a garage sale, finds an aquarium for five bucks. And he bought the aquarium. He said it was worth the price. Because it was only $5, took him over two hours to clean it, put the goldfish in it, and the next day comes out, and one of the goldfish is floating at the top of the water. And the next day he comes in, and the second goldfish is floating at the top of the water. By that evening, three of the goldfish are dead. And so they went out, and they got an aquarium expert, and he wondered what he'd done wrong, and he found out that he washed the aquarium with soap. And his good intentions to clean it, to sterilize it, actually resulted in the, in, the, in the death of the goldfish. And many times we're that way in the body of Christ. He concludes by saying, we're well-meaning, but we relate to each other with killer soaps. 
with condemnation, criticism, nagging, fits of temper. We're trying to correct people, get them back on the right road, but we do it in the wrong way. And so here Paul talks about restoration, but doing it in a spirit of gracious gentleness. Sam Rayburn, you remember him. He was in the United States Senate, I think it was, or the House of Representatives, I guess it was. You remember that he died of cancer. And when he discovered that he had cancer, he announced that he was going back to his hometown, the small town of Bonham, Texas. And when he made the announcement to all of the people that he knew there in Washington, D.C., They said, well, why do you want to do that? You've got cancer. We've got the best hospitals in the world here in Washington, D.C., and all these medical experts. Why would you want to go back to Bonham, Texas? And this is what he said. He said, I'm going to go back to Bonham, Texas, because in Bonham, Texas, they know if you're sick, and they care when you die. And that's a description of community. When you're a caring community, you're connected, and you know something about others, and you care about it, and you're there for them when they're hurting. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you for this wonderful family of believers. Thank you for the many people that I've met that have reached out like Ma Bell, to Elizabeth and me, and communicated, been a conduit of the love of Jesus Christ to us. And I just pray now today that this word caring in each letter, which I think is rooted in the Word of God, would become a trademark of our church family here in Westerlo. And may the love of our Lord Jesus overflow not only in our relationships within the family, but outside of these four walls into the community. And may they, may, may, they, may, may they see the love of Jesus. May they feel the love of Jesus. May they be touched by the love of Jesus in our lives. I ask it in your name, Lord, that you might receive all the honor and all of the glory. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Now let's stand together and sing this closing song, Brother, Let Me Be Your Servant. This is an old Maranatha chorus, and it's just a wonderful song which I think pulls together these thoughts from the Word of God that we've been focusing on this morning.